0: On this episode of EdScoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group, inside the paradigm shift that Arizona State University is driving across higher ed. This is EdScoop's Cutting Edge Podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher ed IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Arizona State University is looking to change the way it engages with all different types of learners. The university launched a new program last month called Study Hall that allows learners to enroll in general education classes for $25. $25. If they complete the course and pass it, they can pay $400 to receive college credit. The effort is just one part of how the university is trying to rethink the way education, online and in person, works. Lev Gonick is the university's CIO. He tells me about how technology factors into study hall and what some of his top priorities are right now.
1: You know, uh, it's hard for me to say that we have found yet uh, another gear, uh, but we are upshifting yet again uh, on multiple fronts. Uh, ASU certainly uh, feels to me like coming out of the uh, pandemic, you know, we we knew we were likely to come out in a in a, in a very strong way, uh, actually better in many ways than before. Especially as a technology leader, uh, having not only found our way to uh, a seat at the table, but also a deep, much deeper appreciation across all of ASU of the contribution that technology can really make. Uh, not only uh, to the uh, you know to the moment in time that was the pandemic, but also specifically focusing in on you know what we can do going forward. So, you know, right now we're very much focused in on a huge event uh, that we host uh, in April called the ASU GSV Summit. Uh, there's a lot of activities going on, and you know, uh, just to, to rattle off a couple, you know, we're we're doing some really exciting things uh, in the credentialing space. Love to chat with you about that. Would love to chat with you a little bit on things that we're doing in, in XR. Although again, we've been at this for a while, but I actually have some data I can share with you and your listeners. Uh, would love to, you know, take a a little bit of a, a look in terms of sort of broader trends that are perhaps going on that we're positioning our, ourselves for and and uh, and maybe just uh, share a bit of the work that we're doing with our community here in the greater Metro Phoenix area. I hope some of that's of interest to you.
0: I actually just want to pick up on something that you just said uh, right at the top, sort of you, you described how you, you kind of found your way to a seat at the table uh, over the course of of the pandemic. This is something that every time I talk to a CIO, um, this seems to be the resounding impact of of the pandemic, right? Is that 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 clarity on the essential role that IT and technology play uh, in university operations? Um, tell me a little bit about that. How's that manifesting? You know, sort of in that CIO chair.
1: Well, I think I think for many universities, not necessarily at ASU, but for many universities, you know, enterprise technology is largely a cost center. Full stop. Uh, And I think during uh, the COVID moment, uh, it, you know, it became evident that not only was uh, technology deployed at campus-wide scale uh, a lifesaver, it turned out that there was an opening uh, that was possible when the rest of the executives of the university were thinking about uh, how to thrive, not only survive uh, through the pandemic, uh, for us to contribute and and contribute, you know, to sort of the intellectual journey uh, of uh, the, you know, continuous evolution uh, of, you know, the public higher education institution. So certainly for, for me, um, you know, uh, thanks to President Crow, thanks to uh, the executive team uh, around him, uh, I have found uh, an opening that allows me not only to talk about technology, but the intersectionality of technology with all of the uh, tremendous innovation that is going on at ASU. And you know, during the pandemic, like we actually created a whole new division of the institution focusing in on basically non-degree seeking learners, which, you know, we call our learning enterprise. Now, that's that's not just like a small little department. Like that is a, a, a huge thrust uh, measured in terms of obviously, most importantly, the impact on learners. But also, you know, to try to continue to diversify uh, our uh, revenue sources, uh, as well as uh, to, again, leverage the technology because learning enterprise is actually a technology driven part of the university full stop. And that is, in my mind, like that's a fantastic development.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about some of these other developments. And and I'm sure that, that learning enterprise uh, factors into credentialing, which is something you also mentioned that you're, you're working on. So, so tell me, I mean, what's the, what's the latest on sort of advancing digital credentials uh, from your seat at, at ASU? What are you seeing in the, in the landscape? What are you working on when it comes to that? Sure.
1: Again, you're exactly right. I mean, there's direct programmatic uh, relevance here. Uh, In fact, If there weren't, I wouldn't be chatting about the particular topic with you today. But, you know, really, you know, we know that one out of uh, every two uh, Americans who starts at university or college don't finish. We know that there are almost 40 million Americans out there who are in that situation. We also know from a lot of our work that in addition to pathways into college, there is a much broader set of needs. Some of it in the technology space, just because of all the change that's going on. But there are there are literally all kinds of career catalyst kinds of activities that uh, you know again need to be curated in a way and made technically uh, very uh, you know very easy for folks uh, to journey into, or just start at the complete other end of this. I've heard something about this thing called college. How do I navigate it? And so, again, you know, ASU, just getting into the college space uh, is not something that is obvious, notwithstanding those of us who sort of live our lives in it, thinking that it ought to be so. So ASU is really engaged, uh, Jake, in a lot of activities. Some of it is programmatic, like the launch uh, just a couple of weeks ago of study hall uh, together with uh, YouTube and Crash Course to deal with the question about how to navigate the complexities of getting into the university world. And we're also working with our colleagues in learning enterprise to support um, all of the technology required to support uh, learners during the complete lifespan work. And so, I mean, just two areas to share with you just ever so briefly. One is actually, uh, it. we all know that uh, certainly in the education world, that the way that you certify and share that you've actually completed college is with a college transcript. Well, what happens if actually you're not in college? For the transcript, that is to say, the degree. But you're at college, and you're trying to collect a whole bunch of credentials, certifications, experiences, learning um, outcomes um, that where you want to show your competency and, and your skills. Well, in order to do that, you know, it's not a, it's not at this point a revolutionary idea because we do it a lot in other parts of our lives. But we've created a digital wallet, and that digital wallet uh, is actually a a place that leverages Uh, very important and robust technologies associated with distributed ledgers, better known as blockchains, uh, and allows us to uh, uh, allow learners to become much more central to the creation of their own learning journeys, including certifications and and the like, but also being able to share uh, in a much more, as I say, sort of learner-centered way, uh, what we call learner agency fashion, uh, with other schools, but also with prospective employers uh with family with friends uh in a way that uh, affords uh, a robust uh, uh, framework that is uh again got a complete audit trail uh which means that uh, you know while it is not probably uh, beyond the realm that somebody could try to spoof it there is an immutable chain uh that is completely auditable uh, in that environment so that conversation again we're not we're not unique although i think we're way ahead of the pack it turns out that there's a lot of conversation around the globe in trying to move towards digital credentials in a digital wallet fashion and so one of the other major initiatives jake that we're involved in is actually helping to facilitate and orchestrate a global conversation which we call the trusted learner network which is actually now trying to take all of these initiatives and uh, you know, basically uh, support the coalition of the willing around the world that is in this space to work on governance, which is sort of the precondition for any interoperability between systems. And like all these emergent technologies, it's really complicated and messy. So we have a governance group that's working on it. And then actually to show how you, and we are building an engine that actually allows you to technically uh, be able to take advantage of ingesting or sharing credentials from your environment to any other environment that is part of the TLN, the Trusted Learner Network. So, in that space, yeah, ASU, with great support uh, from foundations, including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Stand Together Foundation, uh, the Walmart Foundation, and others, you know, are working on uh, on this scope of activity.
0: One of the things that I think about is that you are involved in, and ASU is, is pioneering a lot of these ideas that that truly, you know, not just in, in words, but truly in, in actions kind of are changing higher ed as we know it. They're they're truly like altering what is and is not a, 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 the, the way that we go about this. You talk about not necessarily seeking out a degree, but instead looking for a series of certifications. All of these things, like this is changing the theory. This is changing the structure, um, you know, with with things like study hall, with things like uh, digital wallet and the Trusted Learner Network. I mean, what, what's going through your head as you're working on these projects, as and you realize the the impact that that this can have at a, at a large scale? Well,
1: it is a paradigm shift, no doubt about it. And I think it's uh, in many ways uh, trying to uh, live up to our own uh, sort of ethical core, which is expressed in our charter, which is around accessibility. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't say access, you know, trying to support uh, student uh, access and success for those who only get degrees. Uh, you know, our mission is actually to support the needs uh, of, you know, our state and more broadly, uh, the needs of learners uh, all over uh, the country and beyond. Uh, I do think that uh, ASU is also very intentional uh, about trying to meet learners where they are where students are, and we were ready, you know, and have actually, I think, a pretty good track record of experimenting. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, the gaming industry and virtual reality are like out in the consumer world. It's a thing. It's been a thing. And, you know, we've had some, you know, lots and lots of academic conversation around it. But again, right in the middle of, of COVID, Right as the world was seemingly screeching to a halt, ASU went ahead and invested lots and lots of uh, invested lots and lots of uh, people talent and uh, capital to actually create a brand new paradigm for the delivery of the some of the hardest educational content in the form of stem education. and and we have now thousands of students going through an immersive, biology experience, which we call Dreamscape Learn, as one example of, again, trying to meet students where they are, join them where they think engagement needs to happen. And it turns out the gaming environment and the immersive environment is where they choose to spend most of their time when they're not required to spend their time in a classroom.
0: Yeah, and you, I mean, you segued it up perfectly to talk more about mixed reality and to talk uh, about some of the efforts that ASU has when it comes to the Zoom Innovation Lab, as well as the metaverse. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about beyond the, the immersive biology course, like what what else is going on in that space for, for, for you all? And, and what are you what are you thinking about next?
1: Yeah, well, we took one of the largest buildings on the campus, right, basically, at first in Main Street, you know, right in the heart of the Tempe campus. And we uh, transformed it uh, into a Creativity Commons. So that's kind of our de- thats the destination, that's the shingle. Uh, and in there is really all kinds of experimentation that is going on there. It's a—it's a Creativity Commons in the most basic sense of the word. It's a—it's a—it's a place to both participate in and experience the buzz. So all of that biology work and Dreamscape learn. Not only are you experiencing it as a learner stepping into that environment and literally. Uh, You know, taking your pre-lab work uh, with your teams uh, in that environment, you're also surrounded by all kinds of other innovation work, including work uh, that is associated with uh, ASU's Learning Futures, which is a space where we uh, initially uh, nested that Dreamscape uh, Learn work in its earliest incubation uh, activities, and then have continued to do uh, a range of activities uh, associated with virtual reality and XR. Uh, Along the journey, again, every university in the country found its way to at least uh, exploring uh, the enterprise-wide adoption of Zoom. Uh, We ended up not only exploring, but actually ultimately, uh, obviously, consummated an enterprise agreement with them. And in our relationship with Zoom, we began to think through, uh, how can we at ASU, for all the innovation that we're doing, actually partner with Zoom to actually try to blueprint future scenarios? So in the middle of this Creativity Commons, actually, uh, as a storefront property, uh, uh, Zoom has actually created an innovation uh, facility where our our students and their uh, technologists uh, are engaged in uh, exploring both needs that Zoom has already defined, as well as, because they're in this creativity space, uh, things that just happen in a kind of serendipitous way. So we were demonstrating all of this fantastic, immersive work Zoom's uh, CEO uh, Eric Wan is very interested in this space, and we said, "Well, what if we could actually begin to show you using the gaming the gaming engines of uh, Unity and Real, and begin to actually drop into Zoom the avatar experience, and use our digital twin of the campus to then actually take bring in Zoom into that environment, and that's become a terrific." And very generative uh, set of explorations. Again, part of it, presume, is about next generation products and services. For us, it's really again a way of enriching the learning environment because we still have, uh, you know, literally uh, tens of thousands of hours of content being delivered in the Zoom environment. And to try to create a more compelling, um, more fully and rounded environment by again meeting learners where they are. Which again, if we can take advantage of the playful environment with very rigorous uh, science uh, methodology around it uh, we think uh, that's beginning to show quite a bit of promise so that would be a pretty exciting example of you know the landscape of a digital twin of the campus dropping in zoom which doesn't actually yet have an official product in that space and at the same time trying to uh, help uh, zoom explore you know their virtual reality uh, world as we need to address it in and we see many faculty beginning to play uh, using uh, the digital twin environment,
0: we talked about AI a little bit. Um, you know, enhancing the learner experience, sort of thinking about the the you know things like ChatGPT and and all of these these uh, things that are are being seen and perceived, maybe rightfully so, as a threat to to education as we know it. But I I don't I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Uh, tell me about what's coming across your mind when you think about generative AI and 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 specifically that learner experience.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, all of the sky is falling kind of stuff is is probably uh, not much more than kind of a passing moment in time to grab a headline or two. Um, not to say that traditional education isn't actually being challenged by it, but I think good pedagogy would say from the outset uh, that, you know, there is lots, in fact, of opportunity to leverage a generative uh, chat environment uh, to actually create a, a much more customized uh, and personalized experience rather than the factory model uh, that, you know, too much of, of higher education continues to use, uh, you know, well into the information age, still using, uh, you know, basically a factory and a Fordist kind of model of, of the delivery of education, trying to hit, you know, a kind of midpoint and hoping everybody, More or less can uh, glum to it. So, you know, in our space here, you know, we've begun taking a look at, you know, our our use of of chatbots is, you know, been a number of years here. And again, it's meeting students where they are because it turns out students, not all of them, but many, many uh, of them, uh, measured here in probably uh, on average about 60 to 70%, when given an opportunity to interact with the chatbot, Um, or to actually then uh, alternatively uh, wait in the queue to talk to a human, uh, not only are interested in talking, uh, interacting with the chatbot, but are actually returning all the time to the chatbot, seeing it as largely, uh, you know, an opportunity to resolve tier one kinds of challenges and issues. But in our chatbot, because we know exactly uh, the students' identity and their role and what they're in. So that's a it's sort of inside the garden wall. What we're doing at ASU now is actually taking an API call on the, on the Chat GPT and actually educating Chat GBT about all the things that are inside the fire, inside the garden wall, which is ASU. And so again, we've begun to pilot and for next fall, we hope. Uh, students uh, at ASU will have a much more generative exchange with the chatbot because the chatbot by then will be educated not only about the generic ways to navigate the university by pointing to or taking, you know, having ingested uh, various existing content, but be able to customize it and personalize it in the ways that once you have authenticated yourself and only then I'll be able to share with you. Uh, the answer, how am I doing? What do I need to do? Uh, what are my fees looking at? Uh, what do you recommend that I do for my course My, my course uh, progress here at ASU? The I can now begin to get answered because the chat GBT is getting actually educated in the ASU way. And we think that those kinds of examples are ways of actually liberating uh, a huge part of the drudgery. Uh, of not only the back end of the university world, uh, but also a lot of the uh, activities that uh, go on, uh, certainly in uh, large parts of the curriculum, which can be, I think now, as I say, sort of liberated and letting uh, faculty uh, truly uh, uh, create opportunities for uh, a customizable experience for their learners at scale, uh, because the machines don't care about the number of inbound inquiries uh, and over time, uh, you know, uh, hopefully uh, begin, begin to show real value add. Again, it's a bit of an experiment, to be clear, and oh, to be sure there are some concerns uh, that we all need to navigate. So this is not meant to be Pollyannish in, an old, in an, the old idea of just kind of saying, you know, if we build it, they'll come. No, but again, meeting students where they are and giving them a chance to give us feedback. And at this point, it's the machines that will give us feedback uh, from the, from the student. From the students, I think we're going to
0: see some pretty exciting things. All of these great innovations, all of these things that we're hearing about, uh, sort of rocking the foundation of that traditional education as we're talking about, uh, all of them are not really possible without that connectivity piece and without that that digital, um, you know, the, the true digital equity to make this stuff ubiquitous and, and applicable uh, across a wider swath of people. So, you know, digital equity, uh, I know is a huge priority for you. It's a huge priority for state and local governments right now, um, especially with, with incoming funding from the federal government. So, you know, when you're approaching a problem like digital equity, through the lens of uh, again, your seat at ASU. I mean, what what are you doing to to tackle that problem? What is the 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 university doing to tackle it?
1: Well, it, it is uh, obviously the central challenge for all uh, public universities, to be sure, And I would argue actually all of us in this industry called higher education. We at ASU actually embrace it through, again, our charter being committed to being socially embedded in the community around ourselves. And there are lots of different ways that the university and it's many, many facets engages with the community around us. And this, uh, our work in digital equity is, is one very important way. Again, we found that out through COVID, uh, a fairly obvious uh, statement for those of us who've been in digital equity, but the rest of the world decided on you know day two uh, after COVID hit all of us that holy moly. Uh, we really do need to find a way uh, to make sure that learners, uh, wherever they are, uh, on an Indian reservation, in rural Arizona, in South Phoenix, um, in Maryville, uh, here in, in Phoenix, uh, where you know 60 to 70% of households do not make use of the internet or don't have access to the internet uh, that is out there, that's, uh, that we need to do, to do more uh, to make sure that all learners uh, in our state have an opportunity uh, to traverse uh, and discover and experience um, all of the wonders that are education. And so ASU, in partnership with the county and in partnership with the state, um, is taking on a serious role as uh, an orchestrator of digital equity work from uh, local funds, state funds, federal funds, uh, to actually support A wide range, including, uh, again, digital access, but also, I mean, digital access in the sense of basically the technology, but also on the human side, working on navigation support, being, again, uh, finding our students who are of those communities to ask them to consider to do their service learning back in those communities through digital uh, equity uh, investments uh, and trying our level best uh, to link uh, digital access to digital learning, digital access to digital health, digital access to digital opportunity in the in the economy. Uh, those are all critically important. Uh, if this uh, if this uh, greater metro Phoenix area, which is growing uh, by leaps and bounds, uh, soon to be probably the uh, the fourth largest uh, Phoenix, being the fourth largest city. Uh, and the county being uh, certainly uh, one of the top 2 growing counties in the country that means a lot of diversity in our in our community and making sure that all Arizonans have an opportunity uh, to take advantage of this digital revolution
0: Lev Gonick, Chief Information Officer of Arizona State University. You can read more about him and Arizona State University at edscoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Carlin Fisher and James Mahoney help make it happen and the entire team contributes. Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.